Hello, Zach. Hello, Jack. Hey, guys. Hey, Brenton. Zach and I have done. Zach and I have done a ton of podcasts together, but very few of them have been on video, and so I don't know if our our old shtick is going to work as well in this format, but it doesn't really matter because we have such a fantastic guest today. Uh, I remember sometimes we would have guests uh, in the past that I didn't really know very much about them, so I'd always make you introduce them because I didn't want to screw up the background or anything. But this is a man I know well and admire very much. Uh, this is Brenton Gunning, the founder and CEO of Run. Brenton, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Jack, and pleasure is all mine. Thanks. So, Brenton, uh, for those listening that uh, haven't heard of Run, uh, what is it? What are you working on? Sure. Uh, well, Run, for one, it just launched um, about a week and a half ago. And so uh, what I'm about to tell you, you can go and try it yourself on, on, on the website. But um, what Run is, is it's a, uh, described as a platform to build interactive apps and launch tokens. Um, breaking that down, it's, it's a platform, so it's a, a piece of your software. Think of it like your database or like your JavaScript library. It's something you, you use to get stuff done. And it's for launching tokens first and building interactive apps um, second. And so the tokens, you know, there's lots of token protocols out there. Um, runs is a little different. So the one thing that maybe separates it from other ones is that it's based on JavaScript. Um, simplest language, most people know it. Um, you know, you can really extend it. So if you look at, um, you know, writing an Ethereum smart contract, I think it's a lot easier even than that to do many kinds of tokens um, because of the language and also because um, of the simplistic uh, foundations that's built on, simple foundations that's built on. Um, and let's see, uh, people are using it for all kinds of stuff. So there's people using it for game items. Uh, Crypto Fights is using it for that. Um, Relay is using it for monetary tokens. We have digital pets, um, uh, several other use cases too, and hopefully more in the future. So that's sort of the overview. It's really fascinating to me that I feel like people would really enjoy getting it straight from you is sort of, you know, Ethereum has their smart contract approach. You've discussed that Run is based on jigs. Can you talk about you know, what is it about Bitcoin versus Ethereum that sort of suggests this difference? And are there things that jigs can do that smart contracts can't? Are there things that smart contracts can do that jigs can't? Uh, what's the difference here? Yeah, this is, this is, um, yeah, this is maybe one of my favorite topics uh, b because um, run is based off of jigs, which are uh, definitely different than a smart contract model on Ethereum. Um, I think you know there's a book called a classic startup book called uh, the Innovator's Dilemma, and it's about how do uh, new startups disrupt existing incumbents, and it's an, it's a, a bunch of case studies of different situations that have happened, and one of the things that's interesting is you have to attack the problem from the side. You have to if the incumbent is Ethereum, you're not going to beat them by building Ethereum two. You're going to beat them by doing something a little bit different, and jigs are that something different. So. What jigs do is they, they kind of flip the smart contract model inside out. And the best way to describe this is, you know, if you own a token on Ethereum, what you really own is a record in a smart contract. Your tokens exist within a smart contract. And 
because of that, when you interact with your tokens, you're always going through a piece of code that is shared between many, many different people. And writing that shared piece of code has a, uh, a you, you do it in a different way than you do when you're writing um, you know, your code in your own application. This is why, for example, I think people have a hard time wrapping their head around writing Ethereum smart contracts and doing it securely. Um, what jigs do is they kind of flip that upside down. They say, okay, rather than your tokens existing inside another smart contract, let's make the tokens themselves fundamental. Let's call these, these are called jigs and run, but let, let's bake the code for what an asset can do into the asset itself. And so if you can send it, that's part of the asset. If you can trade it, that's part of the asset. If you can breed it with another digital pet, if that's what it is, that's part of the code baked in. So every jig has the logic for it as part of it. And this is why sometimes I describe run as a, a world of interacting objects and tokens is because these are individual things that people own that interact in interesting ways with other people and other people's assets. And my theory is that from the bottom up, you can build many, if not all the same use cases that you would want to do on Ethereum using more of a bottom up approach with individual assets. Um, and so, so that philosophical difference is, is kind of baked into to run. But, but the other part is, you know, run does do some things that even Ethereum doesn't do. And one of the simplest cases is, um, you know, run puts your code and your code objects on chain these are what you own and code is just another thing that can be owned. So let me give you an example. If you, if you write uh, the code for a digital pet and you launch it, or let's, let's say, say a social media post and you launch it and then you find out that it has a bug in it. Um, because you own that code and that's your property, it can evolve according to certain rules. And one of them is like, you could fix that bug. You could just update it because you're the owner and make that change. And that's something that even Ethereum has a really hard time doing. Upgradable smart contracts are, are not easy. And, and you know, there are ways to make it happen, but you kind of have to plan for it in advance. Um, so I, I think on the, uh, just what you can do with your jigs, there's, there's probably more powerful uh, tools there. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's a different model and there might be things that you can do. There are, there are definitely things that you can do in Ethereum that you can't yet do it run that you know will be fixed. These include things where your assets are, say, in a, a DEX, like a decentralized exchange. That's a use case that's it's not impossible. It's not probably as easy as it's going to be on Ethereum right now. Um, and so some of the more maybe uh, DeFi central DeFi uh, style applications, maybe they don't quite fit yet in run. Maybe someone creative can come up with a way to do it. But you know, I think we've got a good plan to make run as extensible to even take those use cases too from Ethereum. Um, the, the interesting thing is where this difference comes from though, because it's not like jigs, um, jigs don't exist independent of Bitcoin. They exist on Bitcoin for a reason because Bitcoin is based on a UTXO model. And what a jig is, is it's local to a, a Bitcoin transaction. If you own a jig, which is a token, a game item, a social media post, a sticker, you name it. Um, what you really own is you own an output on the blockchain that represents that. And that output is in a particular place. It has a particular state. And the reason I bring this up is that 
that is a very parallelizable model that scales. Uh, when you interact with that jig, there's no other jigs that that you know that you that you're going to interact with that you can't plan for in advance. And so, in theory, this model should scale scale much bigger than um, Ethereum's been able to do with with no hacky solutions like the roll-ups or the, the plasma chains or anything like this. It's just going to scale. Um, there, there are some scalability uh, tidbits there. Be interesting to talk about, but um, it should just scale. Um, and if you compare that to Ethereum, Ethereum, you're always dealing with global state. And what this means is that any interaction to any smart contract could, could affect any other smart contract. And because of this, um, it, you could call it openness, but it, it's really, uh, it's kind of chaos. It, everything can affect everything else. Um, it makes it very hard for scaling solutions to uh, reduce down in scope what a node has to, to think about, what, what an application has to think about. And this is why when you're talking about sharding or uh, roll-ups, these are basically creating miniature Ethereums. Um, you're taking the Ethereum uh, execution environment and you're duplicating it. And that works fine for everything in your mini Ethereum, but then as soon as you want to interact with something from another shard, from another roll-up, um, that's where that is going to struggle. And that's the main way that Ethereum plans to scale right now. So my, my thinking on this is that Bitcoin is perfectly suited. It's, it's infinitely scalable. Um, you don't have to worry about uh, your data, your jigs, um, potentially interacting with stuff that is irrelevant to you. And because of that, I think that once the Ethereum 2.0 starts rolling out and people start seeing some limitations of it, the applications that care about uh, interactivity um, uh, and composability and bringing things together um, from many, many different apps, those would be going to be the use cases that probably have the hardest time upgrading to Ethereum 2.0 and we'll be probably looking for another solution in a year or two, maybe even sooner. Yeah, Zach, I know you have another question, but I just had a quick comment, which is that, you know, it's interesting that both both Bitcoin and Ethereum have to scale horizontally. Uh, it's just that Bitcoin can scale horizontally within itself. Ethereum has to scale horizontally through replications of itself, uh, which that's, you know, I think it's better to let companies like Unbanded Enterprise and Tall specialize in the complexity of scaling uh, scaling Bitcoin and let application developers just work with the one version. I guess Ethereum is sort of pushing off that burden onto their own application developers, which I don't think will work out well. That, that is a great way to put it. I think that, you know, there's a, for anyone listening who's curious, this history is fascinating to me. If, if, you, if you go look up, um, a lot of you have heard of the project called CryptoKitties. It was developed in 2017 at a hackathon and launched in, um, they, they effectively took down the Ethereum network in 2017 because it got so popular. The development team behind that left and created their own blockchain called Flow that is built to be sort of a more scalable version of Ethereum, has the, a lot of the base Ethereum model, but some tweaks that make it more scalable. Um, my, my take on it is I, I think I'm glad that they're trying to solve that. I think they will run into down the road the same scalability problems that Ethereum has, even if they push it down, you know, a few years or something. Who who knows? But they uh, 
they did basically leave the blockchain. The most popular app in 2017 left and started their own. But I bring this up because there's a great talk um, by the, uh, I think he's the lead developer. His name's, um, right, Dieter or Dietrich Shirley, I believe. And it's called um, The Problem with Composability on the Blockchain. Um, the Problem with Composability on Ethereum. And it basically outlines from an app developer's perspective why it is that sharding is so difficult for you because every smart contract needs to plan in advance how it's going to interact with other shards and how these assets that might exist in a smart contract can be transferred and this explosion of complexity is going to get more complicated the more probably probably the more shards there are there's going to be more varieties of different kinds of shards and different kinds of roll-ups and all this is going to make app developers life hell on ethereum um, in the future, maybe for very specific use cases, um, may maybe even for like uh, ICO style stuff, maybe that'll be fine on Ethereum if it's not so interactive with other tokens. But you know, the use cases I care about are are owning your your digital content online, uh, owning your game items, um, things that you can take with you from one app to another. Those are so exciting to me, and I'm sure those are just going to struggle the most on 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 this new model. So. Um, yeah, pay attention to Ethereum in the next two years. It's going to be interesting. Vitalik just posted yesterday a, um, we're recording this on January 5th, so January 4th is when this was posted, but the scaling plan for Ethereum 2, and I think it's worth reading for someone that's just interested in, in where this space is going, because when you compare this to Bitcoin, um, you know, Bitcoin no doubt will have scalability challenges. They're, they're at a different level, a diff different kind of scale. They're, they're not the Ethereum kind. They're going to take a different form. But there's going to be challenges when you get to you know gigabyte size blocks and applications are running this we'll figure that out there's peer-to-peer -peer networks it's an option um but but it but fundamentally it's built on a foundation that scales and so these problems look solvable to me i think we're going to have a much easier time going to gigabyte terabyte size blocks than ethereum will have so, so in that vein brenton like you know at Mountain Capital, Mountain Enterprise, we have a lot of people coming to us that have tried to build on Ethereum, built on Ethereum, encountering scaling issues, and they're looking for kind of uh, solutions on, you know, Bitcoin that scales on BSV. And, you know, obviously a lot of those conversations are private and confidential, so can't speak to kind of from our, from our side, you know, what we're seeing. But, you know, from your side, who are the, who are the companies that are, making the switch over right now, whether from Ethereum, from Hyperledger, uh, and making the move today? Because, you know, it's, you've talked a lot about game developers, but like, who, who are the people that benefit most from run right now versus Ethereum, you know, now? Yeah, I mean, right now, it's going to be anything that is a, uh, a, a micro transaction, a micro asset of any sort. This is, um, I, I mentioned game items a lot because they're a good use case. I think that's where a lot of the activity, that's where a lot of um, things can go viral. But, but, but that aside, um, anything low value, anything like um, your, your likes on your social media site, your, your stickers that you want to bring from your app to your app, uh, badges I've, I've talked about before. Um, people are doing this on, on Ethereum and the fees right now are, last I checked, they were you know, $10 a, a transaction. They're getting pushed out. They're not, they're not, it's not possible to use them without some very custom tailored uh, scaling solution, um, which is going to, again, make app developers life hell. So I think those are sort of the, 
general, like micro assets are going to be sort of the general things that, that run will solve today. Um, but then in particular, who am I seeing coming over? I mean, crypto fights is building with run and their lead developer came from Ethereum right before this. He, they were trying to build crypto fights on Ethereum and it wasn't scaling for them. And they tried several other solutions and eventually uh, found their way to BSV and found their way to run. And it, it's just worked great since there's been, uh, you know, very, very little hiccups in comparison. And so I actually think, you know, BSV has, it's sure it, it's, it's relatively young and building on the Bitcoin UTXO model uh, needs infrastructure that doesn't always exist quite yet. But actually, I think the overall experience is still far better than what you'd have on Ethereum if you're trying to go for these microasset type use cases, because it's not like that's easy either. Either There is a lot of complexity to do that. And um, I, I actually think if you were going to get started with Run Today and launch something like you know, your own token to represent something fun in your app, um, you, could, you could probably get this done in, in a week. Um, it, it's maybe even less, you could probably get an example done in, done in a day. It's JavaScript based, so it's very simple. And you can start to really understand how the Bitcoin model differs from the Ethereum model um, just by building stuff. Uh, that, would be, that would be sort of my recommendation. Um, besides this, I think Run is, it, it's still focused, um, you know, it, it's a young project, right? It uh, just launched a week and a half ago. It's been around for, you know, a year and a half, but it just launched a week and a half ago. So I think getting, Ethereum's been around now for five years, six years. Um, the maturity that Ethereum has in its documentation, in its uh, variety of use cases that people have built on it, um, those need to be explored on, on Bitcoin. And so I think that uh, for the near future, you know, anyone building on Ethereum that's struggling, come over. There's a ton of opportunity to do things that are, that are actually scalable on Bitcoin today. Um, and, you know, reach out because I'd be glad to help anybody who's interested in that. Yeah, I think we brought up CryptoKitties earlier, which is such an important story that I feel like still is not internalized, which is that you, in my mind, one of the worst things you could do as a business would be to put yourself in a situation where your success is your failure. Hard to imagine the worst decision than that. I think that's exactly what building on Ethereum is today, is that the more successful you are, the quicker you will fail uh, because the platform just really can't accommodate uh, success. And maybe it will some, someday, but you know, both of our companies have, I think, uh, done enough in this podcast as well to sort of explain why we don't think that that's particularly likely. And on a relative basis, it's almost certain not to happen. And so I, I, would, I, I would echo your, uh, your suggestion. I mean, this is, um, there, there's something else here too um, that, that I thought about when you were, were, were saying that was, which is on, Ethereum, you're, you're always dealing with complexity. The complexity is almost everywhere. Um, from the mobile wallets, I, I find MetaMask to be 
not always that intuitive. Um, that's from a user perspective. But then from the developer perspective, you're writing in a different language. You have several different test nets that um, you, you develop on. The, the model is fundamentally different. Um, and this is unfortunate because the optimism around what Ethereum could do is great. It's exciting to see what people want to do with the future of the internet, with the future of, of blockchain. But that excitement gets, like you said, you know, if you become successful, it's it's your own, your your own sort of, uh, <laughs> it's your own fault, right? It's like your app suffers for for your success, um, and and so I think one of the things is that I think people would be surprised coming to Bitcoin just how simple things can be, because the foundations uh, are are the fundamentals are really good. The UTXO model, the Bitcoin block model, um, these. These, excuse me, sorry, I have to log back in. Um, these are very intuitive, uh, for me anyway, compared to Ethereum. And I, I think other people would find the same way. And we really have an opportunity to reduce the complexity and take this mainstream. I mean, is, is there even a single, maybe you know, but is there even a single major tech company using uh, blockchain today in, in a real way for for smart contracts, I, I don't think Google is. I haven't heard anything, or or Amazon. And um, I know from my own experience, when I was at, at Snapchat, I was looking into this because uh, there was some talk about you know maybe we could put stickers on the blockchain. This is a use case that I actually care a lot about, and um, not just stickers, but you know other digital assets too. And I looked into this, and and my conclusion at the time was that the blockchains. This was in 2017. They weren't going to scale. They didn't have the right fundamentals for Snapchat scale, which is 100 plus million users at the time. And if you're talking about Facebook or something, they're dealing with a billion plus users, several billion users. Um, the fundamentals have to be there. And the complexity can't just explode onto app developers' hands. It has to be from a foundation that actually does scale um, and is easy to explain too. So I, I can explain run to people once you understand Bitcoin, it's, it's a small gap, but I, I still find Ethereum, the, the learning curve is, is pretty deep. The smart contract model is, is somewhat weird. <laughs> it's like you have these nebulous programs that are running in the cloud that many users interact with. Um, the kind of security considerations you have to think about when you have many different people interacting with shared assets is, um, I mean, I mean it, it's unusual for me. I, I, I guess maybe some people find it more intuitive, but, but I didn't. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a real opportunity here. So, Brenton, kind of shifting gears here, um, you know, when, when did you leave Snapchat? I left Snap in, remember, middle of 2018. Middle of 2018. And at that time, what were your views in terms of like, different blockchains and Ethereum and Bitcoin and, you know, how have those evolved uh, from, you know, then since, you know, uh, getting run started? Well, yeah, so it was really, the reason I left was because this was before the BSV BCH split, but it was clear even at that time that BCH had the right fundamentals for scalable digital assets. Uh, this, how this would all work out was still to be determined, but you know, you, you can see when there's an opportunity in front of you that's, that's really exciting and, and, you know, going to be a big deal. And that's how I felt with the, the Bitcoin cash split. And this was in 2017. 
2017 to 2018 when I left was, um, you know, I was getting really excited about this and I wanted to start building on it. I was doing that in my free time, was also looking at opportunities for Snap. Um, when I left, I had a bunch of ideas to explore. One of them was um, scalable game items on chain. And this has really come full circle because that's exactly what, what CryptoFights is doing today. And, and Duck Creations is another app. And, and this is a use case that I cared a lot about right from the beginning. And um, my, my views at the time were that uh, we would need some kind of programmable solution for this. That much was clear. Um, we would need infrastructure in place for this because it wasn't going to look like Ethereum miners that run all the code. You would need some sort of second layer solution for this. Um, and at the time, there were several token protocols that were uh, really early days. I mean, Tokeda was one of them. I mean, go look, there was even a token contest back then. Tokenize was sort of birthed at a token contest. And all of them had like a slightly different take on it. So it seemed like there was going to be a lot of opportunity there. And that's what I spent my time with at the beginning was, was trying to figure out a, a, a good scalable approach that's also general purpose. And um, I would also say that at the time, I was very interested in digital cash, and I still am. I think the micropayments side of things, setting aside the tokens, setting aside the programmability, the payment side of things is still very exciting. I still disagree strongly with the BTC crowd and their desire to make Bitcoin into digital gold. Um, I think Bitcoin was not meant to be that. I think Bitcoin was meant to be digital cash, and that's where a lot of opportunity will still be. You look at what, you know, what Twitch is doing, for example, letting you tip and pay in BSV, and I think that same concept can just, you know, it would really just improve the web if we had simple payments model, simple a simple payment model for all kinds of content. Like, you know, you make a code change and you you tip the person that someone makes a code change and you tip the person who did it. Um, there, there's it's just endless. Uh, and and so I think the payment side is still very interesting to me. Um, other people are tackling that, but I hope that BSV also stays on the course of you know payments being a key thing because. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's not settled yet, <laughs> what that's going to look like in the future. Yeah, totally, totally agree there. Um, and, you know, it makes it easy, I guess, to sell your digital pet, for example, uh, <laughs> compared to, and your digital pet probably isn't that valuable. I'm sorry. Uh, Oh, you never know. <laughs> it could be. And obviously some of the crypto kitties became valuable. But it, if things go mainstream, then I'm guessing the average digital pet will have limited resale value. But it's still a resale value, I'm sure, that can be accommodated by Bitcoin SV, which yes. is important. The, the interesting um, thing about digital pets is you know, a lot of people treat this as silly um, so a silly use case, but the truth is that the most popular digital pets on CryptoKitties were going for a lot of money. And that's true for, you think about art too. Art is a funny thing because, you know, if you have the Mona Lisa, someone could take a picture of that, but that picture does not have the same value as the real thing. And just, you know, it doesn't matter if your digital pet is the same as another digital pet. If it has a history that has some origin story that's very interesting to people, that gives it a value that isn't something you can copy to another asset. And there's going to be all sorts of things like this in the future. Um, of course, not just digital pets, but um, I think we, people have talked about your content on social media being something that can be sold and monetized in the future. Um, your, your videos, for example, on YouTube, they can be resold and someone else can 
can buy it and make money off it. I think that's an interesting use case. And what we need to do that is we need a, it starts with a foundation of, of just assets in general, what stuff you can own. This is what Ren calls jigs, but it's just stuff. Um, and then people can start to build that. And then, and then from that, you can start to emerge um, ecosystems of apps that, that let you take your assets from one app to another. And to me, that's the really exciting thing here is because blockchain is a shared database. It's where many apps can find some common ground for um, you know, who owns what and what happened to what. Um, that's sort of a, a fundamental problem that has led to applications siloing their data on different servers and not really sharing it. Um, but you can build an application where the assets, the data that the users own are uh, shareable and tradable and, and you can take them outside of your app from the start. You can commit to that. That's, that's one of the benefits that blockchain, blockchain provides. So to me, you, you think about like, what does the future look like when many of the things we care about are owned as digital assets um, on a blockchain? Uh, I think it's gonna be really exciting. There's gonna be way more, there's probably gonna be way more applications first off because it's not like Twitter is going to have exclusive control over your tweets. There's going to be, you know, third parties that come along. Just like, for example, on Twitch, there's an there's an app called Windbell that lets you create uh, basically streams of content on Twitch. That wasn't built by the Twitch team. Um, that's really cool. And this is just the start. People are just starting to learn that you know one app's data can can be remixed and repurposed for another another role. I think about you know your games you spend. Gosh, people spend. 30, 60 days sometimes in, in playtime, building up a character that means so much to them. And then when they go on, it's, it's just, it's wasted. It's gone. The server goes down and that, that time period of their life is not just um, useless, but there's no memory of it. There's no record of, of, of what was achieved during that period. And people in what they do, um, whether it's a game or whether it's social media or whether it's your career, your career also, a lot of aspects of that can be tokenized too. So um, I, I think of Bitcoin is, and, and blockchain is uh, building a, a ledger of, of uh, you know, your life story of the things you care about. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, this will lead to a lot more uh, different kinds of apps in the future. Yeah, it's uh, kind of bring me down memory lane here, just thinking about some of the pets and digital characters I've had in my own life, like, uh, like where are my Neopets, you know, where, where are they? Tamagotchis, uh, right? Yeah, where's, there was like a, a little pet kind of thing you could have in the like Sonic the Hedgehog games. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, I, I'm not a very big gamer myself, but uh, I've got a lot of digital pets in my past and it'd be nice to have them around still and be able to take yeah. them take them out and do something else with them. Just no, collectibles, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I had Pokemon cards growing up. I took a lot of pride literally just opening up the, the, the binder and seeing what I had. It's, it's so simple, but, but that was a very enjoyable experience. Um, I, I think things like that don't really, they don't exist in the way they need to on the internet. Um, yeah. Actually, the first time I remember seeing this actually was on, not the first time, uh, but one of the times I remember experiencing this firsthand was on Streamanity, um, buying a video. Uh, you know, it's marketed as a tool for 
uh, rewarding content creators. And certainly there's, there's, there's that. But I'll say that the other thing I, that felt really good is, is after purchasing a video, seeing it in my video section and seeing it as something that was now, you know, something I purchased that it was, was mine. I don't know what that feeling is. It's, it's something like pride or um, ownership. I don't, it's, I don't even know the content, someone else's content, but it's like I, I bought something, right? And so I, I think collectibles of all sorts, uh, you know, there's just a lot of room for that. You know, it's, I think it's clear, or maybe it's not clear to everybody, but it's clear to me how one goes about owning a jig. It's the same way that someone goes about owning Bitcoin. But can you sort of take us the next step? You know, people talk a lot about owning your own data. And we're sort of touching on this topic now in terms of being able to own a digital pet that persists through time, but you know, what does it mean to you to be able to own your own data and how do jigs help us get closer to that goal? Well, uh, well, this is interesting to me because owning your own data can take a lot of different forms. Um, you certainly have, uh, you certainly have the ownership model where, uh, you have the ability to update it. That is where runs model starts. So, uh, jigs, if you own a jig, you can update it. That means you can, you know, sell it, you can trade it, you can perform actions on it. If it's like a game character, um, you can even take it into a battle. I, I haven't even explained, like you can build game logic using jigs too. These are all things you could do. Um, but, but that's what, that's one form of ownership is owning the right to update that data and being exclusive. And whether it's more than that is, is, is going to be interesting to see how it evolves because on a blockchain, everything's public. It's not like um, privacy is not there by default. If you want to own it means that you have some, you have you and maybe the people you share with have the ability to see it like say your social media content, that's a different form of ownership. And I would also like to see solutions for that. Some of these can be built with jigs today. Um, you, can, you can use run uh, on BSV mainnet and you can also use it on uh, you know, your own private database if you really wanted to. And maybe there's some mixture of like the Powping model and the Twitch model that, that lets jigs kind of you know, go into a more private mode if need to. There's, there's other solutions for this too, but, but maybe that's one. Um, so I think you know owning in the form of you know having exclusive ability to see it is another form of ownership. Um, there's also all sorts of questions that come up with with ownership because, for example, let's say you own a a sticker pack, um, and this is something you purchased from an artist that created this. You know, in theory, that those stickers are data on the blockchain that could be displayed by anybody. There's nothing that says those are yours, but but one, one thing from, from SNAP that I remember is, you know, SNAP prevents you from taking a screenshot. It, it does its best to, to, to detect that and to notify the other person that uh, you took that screenshot. And this is an imperfect mechanism. It's imperfect because if you root your phone or you really know what you're doing, you can get a screenshot. You can take a screenshot from another camera, of course. But the point is that um, you, you set a, you set an expectation that your, your snaps are going to be uh, time limited and not screenshotted. And then that expectation allows people to be more free. I think the same is gonna be true for, for ownership. So 
if you own a sticker pack, sure the data is out there, but will Twetch let you bring it into it? To be determined, probably not. If you don't own it, maybe you can't use that sticker. That's something I'd like to see apps respect and this respect for ownership is something that's going to make uh, your assets even more valuable. And it doesn't take much to get this started. Just a, a few apps that respect that you are the owner of some data is gonna be enough to bootstrap this. It doesn't have to be, you know, we don't need the perfect technical solution. I, I know that we don't, we, we need things that, that bring new user experiences. Um, that, that's fundamental. And um, I guess the last part about owning your data is, um, this is gonna be a, a, an interesting one. So, so Run has some, some solutions planned for this, but this, I still consider this a big open question to be solved not just by, by Run or, or BSB, but, but you know, this is a blockchain problem. It's, it's how does GDPR or privacy laws affect your data? Because these laws in many cases say that the service provider, whatever that means, um, it's clear off the blockchain, on the blockchain it's much murkier, um, have to be able to delete your data um, if you ask them to. That's, that's what GDPR does. California has similar regulations. These are, are not uncommon in the world. Um, and if you're gonna get big and you're built on blockchain, the ability to delete data is also important. There is, you know, the simple approach is you, you, you as a service provider, you as the app, just hide the data that's been deleted by the user, mark it in a database. But that might not be the only solution. Um, I would love to see, you know, someone could explore this today. I think uh, a privacy, um, uh, a full privacy solution uh, for run using a mixture of encryption and, and maybe even off-chain stuff and, and a mixture of on-chain um, is doable. And you could probably build a service where when you delete your data, you request your data to be deleted, um, it's gone from all of the services. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, basically maybe they remove a, a, a decryption key from their server and then they literally have no access anymore to your, to your data. So um, I, I think privacy is, is, is gonna be a, you know, it's not the most pressing thing to solve, but it will be an important concern in the next few years. Um, so Brenton, um, right now run is primarily for developers, right? You need to have some, you need to be able to use JavaScript, um, to use run, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So recently there's been kind of a rise in like the no code movement and building apps and things without having to know how to code. Do you see like run or Bitcoin, like getting to there? in a while in the near term. Um, curious, curious your thoughts on, on that is in many ways, what you've done is made it much easier for people to unlock the potential of Bitcoin and just curious how much, how much easier it can realistically get. get way easier. Someone could do this today. Um, you know, on, uh, on Ethereum, you have simple wizards you can do to launch a token. This exists. And this is an opportunity for someone to do the same thing on Bitcoin. Uh, very simple front ends for non-developers to launch digital assets. Um, where Run sits right now is, is at the, the protocol and, and the, the platform level where you would build this into your application, but I would love, and this is an opportunity, it's a huge opportunity actually, for someone to build simple tools to launch a variety of different kinds of assets. Um, maybe not as customizable as the ones you would write yourself, but 
in many cases, that's going to be fine. If you need to, you know, tokenize art on the blockchain, there should be a standard process for that. That's probably, there's probably going to be um, only a handful of, of things that you might need to do with it that you can probably plan for in many cases. Um, and so I, I think that standardization process to allow for these tools to be developed is just starting. Um, like, for example, the run comes with a token standard. This token standard is for fungible tokens. It's, um, it's built right into run. It's, 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 not, it's not at the base level, so it's something you can choose to use, but um, it, it, it's dead simple to launch a fungible token, stocks, shares, gift cards, that kind of stuff. Um, that standard has already evolved. Uh, you know, some use cases have come up that, um, that have started to, to change it. And just like, um, you know, just like Ethereum has ERC-20 style contracts, that kind of standardization of contracts uh, is really important and is, and is taking place right now uh, on run so that people can then build those second layer um, applications that allow people to, to just launch a token without writing any code. Uh, it, you gotta get some standards in place first, but then once you have that, um, it, 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 and you know what, this could be done today, an application developer, I think, you know, you look at, um, uh, on, on BCH is mint.bitcoin.com. You know, it's pretty simple, but it, it's cool that that exists. That's like, someone can go build that today. Someone should go build that today on BSV. It's a, it's a great project and, and it deserves to have an equivalent for the token solutions that exist on BSV. Yeah, I wanted to get your take, Brent, in. You know, for people who are with us at this point, they love Bitcoin. So thank you guys for uh, loving Bitcoin so much and sticking with us. Some, some uh, so, you know, a few, few stragglers. Yeah, well, if you're if you struggled this far, then you're on your way to fitting in that category. Uh, so, you know, now that we're speaking potentially a little bit more to the uh, to the insiders, I'm curious what you what would you want to see uh, from the broader ecosystem? What do you think will help the ecosystem, and in particular, help run thrive? I think one of the things that needs to happen is um, we need to find a way to bring in more developers into BSV because the opportunities are endless. Um, there are a, a lot of developers already on BSV, but I think a lot of the world just doesn't know the potential. They're, they're reading headlines on Twitter or something that, that aren't accurate. I mean, you know, maybe they, they probably don't even know about uh, Ron and Script and other, other token solutions that are out there already. Um, I think getting that knowledge and communication out to bring in new developers is, is, is to me, that's the top priority. That's, um, you know, I, I attended a hackathon for, uh, believe it or not, for Ethereum uh, last year. And this was to see who's going to these hackathons and what are they building, what are they interested in? And the main takeaway was, my, my main takeaway was that most of the people there are just trying to learn something new, they're having fun, they're, they're doing something that hasn't been done before, they're inspired by some ideas. Um, they aren't Ethereum specific. M many people are not Ethereum specific. And, and I don't want to focus on just Ethereum because this applies across the blockchain space. So there's, a, there's way, way more people that are not tied to a particular coin but are interested in developing new things. And there are those that are you know, just on their chain and that's it. And that's, that's to me what I think uh, is, is where all the opportunity is going to come in the next year is now that we have some of this infrastructure in place from this year, starting to outreach, bring people in, teach, that's gonna be a big 
opportunity. And, and the goal of doing that is to have these people start building their own startups, build their own apps, um, hopefully make some money and, and learn a lot in the process. And, um, uh, you know, you, you look at where, where Ethereum is and where BSV is. If I was just starting out, I would definitely come build on, on run on, on Bitcoin SV. I think that's the, the most exciting, promising, um, where a lot of the ex activity is, is just starting to get started. Um, so I think that's a big thing. Um, uh, besides that, wallet support. Uh, wallet support has, has got to get better. It's good. I, I don't want to say it's not good because if you look at the user experience, um, say, say of hand cash or money button or relay, um, they, you know, they're good payment wallets. The problem is they're, they're not good data wallets, not yet, not good token wallets. Um, and there is going to be a whole lot of innovation that's going to probably come out of that because it's not clear what this is even supposed to look like in the future. Um, and so I think better wallets in 2021, there's opportunity and there's opportunity for new wallets because whenever there's a, a gap in the market, that's when an innovative person can come in and, and try to fill it with, you know, maybe a new fresh look at the space. Maybe it doesn't need to be, um, maybe it doesn't need to be a mobile app, for example, maybe, maybe there are other ways to do this. Um, so I think wallets and, and of course with wallets comes exchanges, getting exchange support, any of those integration of token solutions, that's going to be a big thing. But um, uh, the, the last thing I think is really exciting is people building and collaborating with others to make existing apps better. You don't need to start fresh. You don't need to develop a whole game from scratch. You don't need to develop a whole social network from scratch. There are, we ha we're dealing with open protocols and open data. And so there's a lot of opportunity for people to think, okay, what would make, um, you know, let's say Twitch launches some kind of uh, asset that you can own. What could I do with that asset in a new way? That's the kind of questions that I think are, are gonna be really, are gonna unlock a lot of use cases that have never existed before because we've never had low fees like we have on BSV that would allow some of these use cases to emerge. And um, yeah, I think that's that's probably a lot of it. The infrastructure is getting pretty good. That's that's one strength. I mean, there's still some stuff to be built out, but if, if 2020 was you know, the year of the server, I would hope 2021 would be the year of the app because there's there's just an incredible amount of good infrastructure now that this stuff can start and go for real. Yeah. Well, Brenton, on, on that note, positive for 2021 at the beginning of the year, uh, really appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks for coming on. I encourage everyone to, you know, look at what Brenton's doing at Run. Uh, don't we explicitly mention it yet, but, you know, as disclosure, uh, Run is a proud portfolio company of Unbounded Capital. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone uh, for, for listening today. We are proud, that is. We hope that they're proud. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Brenton, thank you so much. Yeah, this has been great.